0: Best friend. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks for having me. I know you had nothing to do with it, but I'm so great to be here. Uh, Just honored to be with you guys. Graham, what a specimen that guy is, right? So awesome. Graham and I shared a hotel room in Laughlin once. That's all. And so um, we... uh, I'm really glad to be with you guys. As he mentioned, I worked at the Irvine campus for 11 years and spent some time working with junior high and high school students over there. Uh, Absolutely loved my time, still part of Mariners, I get to now teach and kind of Rotate through the campuses and spend some time with some other great looking people like yourselves and uh, just talk through God's Word, which I absolutely love to do. Uh, in my now full time work, I'm doing an extension of what I believed I did over at Mariners, which I come alongside uh, myself specifically, teenagers and 20 somethings, uh, and help them figure out who they are, what they want to do with their life, because oftentimes most teenagers and 20 somethings don't quite know who they are and what they want to do with their life. Uh, and most of all, they don't have a plan to figure out how to make dreams a reality. And so we, Uh, part of the team I work with called U-School. We come alongside and we help anybody in some kind of a life stage transition, high school to college, college career, career changes, and then now one of our, um, bigger, uh, ventures is we're helping transitioning military families out of military and into civilian life and coming alongside them and helping them understand identity, mission, purpose outside of military and back into to life here. So I love what I get to do. Um, but I'll be honest, I do miss, I do miss Mariners and being a part of everything that's going on here because this is a great church. And if it's your first time, um, I'm really glad that you guys are here. Caleb Anderson is the normal lead pastor here. He's a little bit better looking than me, a lot better looking than Graham. Um, and he's just an all around great guy. So we hope that you come back and you get to meet him and the rest of the team here., um, but we're going to have a good time this weekend, I hope. We're going to finish this series called "Things I Wish Jesus Never said." And I'm hoping to bring a message here that that inspires us, but most of all challenges us to live um, a great, great story with our life. Now, before I get too far, I want you to like me, so I'm going to show you a picture of my family because there's no better way uh, to to like me than to see my kids. Uh, so, um, this is my wife, Kim, and then our, our son, who will be five this summer, uh, his name's Asher, and then our little girl there, his name is Ellie, and she's 18 months, uh, and Ellie right now is uh, cutting molars um, and having night terrors, so yeah, <laughs> it's been a great week, Uh <laughs> And, you know, if you've raised kids, if you've got, if you've got kids or, or, or anything like that, or even been around kids, you know that it can be chaotic and hectic at times. There's just exhaustion that usually comes around like 2 o'clock every single day. Uh, and I know my, my wife's a saint. She stays home with our kids, which, which we're so grateful to do. But you can tell when it's a bad day when she's texting me at like 11.30 asking what time I'm coming home tonight, you know? <laughs> and I'm like... I'm going to have lunch first, and then I'm going to work a bit, and then I'll be home around nine or ten tonight. So, no, just kidding. <laughs> and there was, there was one time I came home, and, and um, we, we, you know, we did the whole, like, bath and dinner and nighttime routine and all that kind of stuff, and it was like we were barely holding it together. Kids go to bed. We sit down on the couch. My wife just sits down. And she just covers her face, and I looked at her, and I'm like, this is my moment, right? I'm going to, like, be the, the husband I want to be. I'm going to, like, console her and comfort her and just inspire her. So I sit down, I, I put my arm around her, I lean my, my head on hers a little bit, and I say, <clears throat> I pause, I'm like, this, this matters. Like, what I say here matters, you know? And so I go, um, I go babe, uh, you know, some some people have the spiritual gift of mothering. And, um, and I stop, because I'm like, that's not at all what I meant. Like, that's not... That's not the sentence I had thought about. Like, the spiritual gift of mothering, that's not even a real thing. Like, I've never even heard of that before. I don't think it means any, and I'm like... This, what did I just say to her? And I feel her start to tremble. And inside, I'm like, you have to recover. This is a, You've got to apologize. Say something. Any word is better than silence in this moment. And she's now like standing up. And I'm like, but hold on. No! And the words are out in the universe. Worse, they're in her head. And she walks out of the room in silence and was gone for three weeks. And just kidding, not really. <laughs> You're like... <laughs> You're like, wow, that was a really bad moment for me. No, it was a really bad moment, but she forgave me, thankfully, after I apologized for three days. But we all say things, don't we? That we go, what on earth did I just say? It was a mistake, or you meant it. It Doesn't matter. You still wish you didn't say it, right? And there are. Bible verses that we look at and we go, what is that doing there that doesn't fit? It doesn't fit with the brand and the message that we're trying to do here. It's not like, you know, it doesn't fit in the tech pack that we're creating. It just doesn't work. Let's, let's, cut those out, right? Now, thankfully though, there are lots of Bible verses that we love, right? There's so many scriptures that we look at and go, that's a good one. That's a keeper. That's one I'm going to put on a t-shirt. You know what I mean? In fact, we do this sometimes. We take our Bible, our favorite Bible verses, we pull them out of the Bible and we put them on merchandise. Have you guys seen this before? I brought a couple examples because some of you are like, what are you talking about? Here's the first one. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a wall decal, because who doesn't need more of those? Uh, it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 15. Clearly, this is in a Christian mobile home, right? I mean, a mobile home, model home. <laughs> it could be mobile. We don't know. All we see is one wall, and it's a little bit short. I'm going to assume it is. And so uh, you can tell. They look at this and they think, we want a statement piece so that somebody walks into our home. They see this and they know what our home is about. It's about serving the Lord, right? Okay, what about this one? This is, uh, oh, this is a good one. This is a nice one. We all know the verse, be still and know that I'm God. But what you don't know is what happened in this picture. It's a little bit cold outside. There's fog rolling in on the hills. There's a fire crackling in the corner. She just woke up, knit herself a sweater. (laughs) She started her pour over coffee and she thought, you know what? I need the right mug for this moment. I need the mug that reminds me that I can be still and know that God is God, right? You can just feel that moment because it's a beautiful verse, right? How about one more? Because who doesn't love throw pillows? right? On your couch, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Now, if you went to somebody's house and you saw this on their couch, like, you'd know something about those people. You know what I'm talking about? You'd know that you don't want to come back to their house instantly. (laughs) Just kidding. Some of you have this pillow and it's adorable. It's really, really nice. Now, these are three examples of scripture that we like. They're good. They're nice, right? Uh, We do this sometimes with all kinds of scriptures where we put them on merchandise. We tattoo our bodies. We put stickers on our cars. We just happen to not do that with some scriptures in the Bible, like the one we want to talk about today. Matthew 20, 26 through 27, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Now put that on a pillow and let's see what happens when people come to your house, right? You walk in and go, What? This is a really crazy statement. Like, this is a scary verse. This is one that shatters everything that I believe about what it means to be great. Right, And I think that it's a really easy tendency for myself, and maybe you're like me, to overlook some of these more difficult scriptures and just sort of pay attention to the ones that make me feel better. But then we come across one like this and we go, well, that must not have been what Jesus meant to say. Like maybe that's a statement he said and he was like, well, I didn't mean it, right? No, but if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and we have this scripture that is God breathed and it's here for us today to look at, we have got to say maybe it's in there." for a reason. Now, what I want to try to do this morning for just the next few moments is help you, and I'm talking to myself oftentimes too, to help us understand that there is a great story inside all of us. There is a great story inside you that is dying to be lived. The problem, however, is how we define great. Because if we went outside, we went down the main street, like Graham was talking about, we asked people, what does it mean to be great? They're going to give you different uh, definitions than what Jesus says, right? They're going to talk about fame. They're going to talk about bank accounts, fast cars, uh, facial reconstruction surgery. They're going to talk about uh, Grammy Awards. And they're going to talk about all kinds of things that make people great, right? And sometimes we look at that and we go, that's what I want. I want that level of fame or notoriety. I want to make that level of impact. I want to have that size bank account. I want to have that house. And we look at that and we go, they're living a great story. And I choose that story, right? The problem though, and I'm not going against those people because there are some really good people that have some of those things. The problem though is when Jesus says, if you want to be great, he follows it up with an earth-shattering, upside-down definition that says the greatest among you is the one who is a servant. It is the one who is last. It is the one that considers themselves a slave, lower than, less than, everyone around them. That's a very challenging word that I think we have to wrestle with because, as I mentioned, I believe you want to live a great story with your life, so let me help you along the way. Is that okay? So first part of this, if we want to live a great story, we have to recognize that a great story begins with saying yes. So Jesus, he comes onto the scene early first century. He is, uh, um, you know, the son of a carpenter. You know this. He grows up going to rabbinic school. He was a very smart, wise kid, head above his class. Uh, he goes to the Jordan River, gets baptized, led out into um, the wilderness for 40 days where he is tempted. He comes back in and he begins his public ministry as a rabbi, a certified teacher of the old testament law and he comes onto the scene and he starts to proclaim and to demonstrate the gospel right so he'd say things like the kingdom of heaven has come near and he would talk about what does it mean to be in the kingdom of heaven then he would demonstrate it by doing things that not many people could do heal the sick feed thousands of people at the time Uh, raise people from the dead, and then he would spend time with people that he shouldn't have spent time with as a rabbi, as a teacher. He would go and spend time with notorious sinners. He would spend time with women at the well. He would call Nicodemus out of a tree. He'd go and find tax collectors and spend time with people, shattering everybody's understanding of what it meant to be a rabbi, right? So naturally, a crowd starts to form people are gaining in curiosity about who is this Jesus. And so he just finished his teaching thousands of people. He's standing in a boat just off the shore so that everyone can see him. And as he finishes his message, this is where we're going to pick up. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who's also Peter, he said, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, in the first century, who should know more about fishing, Jesus or Peter? That's yeah, a really hard question because in the church it's always Jesus, right? Like normally here we'd say, What's the answer? And you're like, Jesus, right? No. <laughs> in this story, Peter should know more about fishing. Not only does he do this with his life, he just got back in from an unsuccessful fish, right? He worked all night long. But look at the picture of reference. He sees Jesus in his boat. He just heard him talk. He's got a crowd following him, and he recognizes that in an honor culture, this guy has something that I don't have. He sees something in Jesus and recognizes who Jesus is and says, if you say so, let's go out. Now, you might know the story. They push out to the same water they had worked all night long. Peter lets down the net and starts to pull it up, and it's so heavy he has to call for his partners, James and John. They bring their boat. They haul in two entire boatloads of fish. Which is kind of gross if you think about how many fish that is, like boatloads of fish, and they're like flopping and all. So there they are, surrounded by the greatest haul that these guys have ever brought in. And Jesus, so, so then look at, well, look at Peter's response. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Already in this, Peter recognizes that Jesus should not be with him. It made no sense for somebody as authoritative, great, clearly a man of God, it would be at a disservice to Jesus to be in the presence of a sinful man. So Peter is saying, you're going to ruin your reputation by being with me. Everything you work towards is going to be shattered because you're in my boat. You need to get away from me. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee. They were Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. For now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their nets up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now what I love about this story, this is like, in every great story, this is called the call to adventure. This is the inciting incident that starts a great story off. If you read literature, watch movies, anything like that, this is that moment, and it's one of my favorites in any great story. But what makes it my favorite is that Jesus picked the wrong people. At least in according to the first century, what would be tradition and normal, a rabbi would go find the best of the best, the cream of the crop, the smartest and the brightest that were still in rabbinic school, gather them and say, you will follow me so that when I'm gone, you can carry on my message. What does Jesus do though? He goes to a place where people are not in school. And yet everyone in the first century, if you were Jewish, you started in school once you failed out, you went back to work at your father's business. Jesus goes and finds the outcast, the reject, the ones that are unworthy, that are not smart, that are rejected from school. They are now working in their father's business. And he says, This is the type of person I want. What I love about this is this is how Jesus found me, too. He found me not as the best or the brightest, the smartest, the one that I had in my life put together. He found me as an 18 year old in high school. Broken, alone, deeply insecure, trying so hard for people to like me, willing to do whatever it took just so people would like me. Um, No sense of identity, purpose, direction in my life. I had no clue who I was. And Jesus came alongside me and says, I see your brokenness. I see what, um, I see addictions. I see how messed up you've gotten. I see your low self-worth and I have an adventure for you. Do you want to come with me? Now, if you were like me, the answer was an obvious yes, because my life was headed nowhere fast. Where were you when Jesus found you? Were you like me, broken? Were you addicted? Were you entitled? Were you in debt? Were you divorced, unemployed? How was your self-worth in that moment when Jesus found you? What I love is that Jesus chooses us, people just like us, to say, you're who I want to come with me on an adventure. You are the ones that I want to teach you what I know so that you can carry on this great story because we are invited into a greater story than we could ever hope or imagine for ourselves. but it begins by saying yes to that journey. Now, it's going to get a little bit harder here because if you watch any movie or read any book, you know that your favorite part of any story is like the middle two-thirds where it's filled with conflict and people overcoming challenges, and their suffering. We call it entertainment, right? But it's really a really challenging part of a hero, a main character trying to get what they want. And the reality of any great story is the greater the ambition for that story, the greater the conflict they have to overcome, right? So Jesus is now walking alongside the disciples. He's been with them for a couple of years at this point and he's taught them so much, and they are convinced that this is the Messiah, the one that everyone's been waiting for, the anointed one, the chosen one, the one who's going to save us from all the oppression, the persecution, the pain and suffering that we're living in. Jesus will be the one that will remove that. What they really thought, though, was that this was going to be the new king that was going to overthrow the Roman government, right? It was going to take out Everything that is wrong with society that they could see, they went, this is the guy that's going to end that. So what would you, norm, like, what would you imagine some of those disciples would do? They'd start to think, hey, when we get to the kingdom, what jobs are we going to have? What do we get to do? Like, I want to have some power and authority too. Like, We got Jesus. We want to do some things. Now, what I love, Matthew chapter 20, just so great, because we're going to talk about how A great story has to come at a great price. Like, a great story has to come at a great price. Now, James and John, they enlist the help of an unlikely person to make sure that when they get into um, the, the, the new kingdom, once the Romans are overthrown, they get their mom to go up to Jesus and to say, Hey, Jesus... Uh, When you get to your kingdom, when you have your throne and your nice white horse and your shiny armor and your giant sword, you're going to have some other thrones and some jobs. Like you're going to need some rulers and some governors and officials. You're going to need some great people around you. And I think, hang on Jesus, I think it should be my sons, James and John. They're amazing. They're strong. They're the sons of thunder. Very cool name. We need them on your right and your left. Am I right? Am I right? So now imagine this it's your mom doing that, right? Like your mom is the one that's up there doing this work for you. But they don't stop her. They didn't, they didn't say, wait a second, we shouldn't do that. But look at Jesus's response in verse 22, Matthew 20. It says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? Now, on the surface level, Yes, I'll drink out of whatever cup you want me to drink out of. That's fine. But we know that this is a cryptic message that Jesus is not talking about a physical cup. He is talking about the pain, the sacrifice, and the suffering that will come in order to accomplish this great kingdom that he's establishing. So he says to them, are you able to do that? Meaning, are you able to do the work? Are you willing to do the work it's going to take in order to do this, right? Now, I get where the disciples are coming from in this moment, because we all crave that power and authority a little bit at times. We all want people to respect us. We want our kids to just listen at the snap of a finger. They never do. This doesn't work. I don't know why I do it. It doesn't work. And we all want that at times. Now, you know, it's, it's similar. So I'll tell you a story. When I was in high school, um, I was not, how do I say this? I, it wasn't cool, I guess is the simplest way to say it. I was in marching band. There's the definition of me in high school. All right, so um, I was six foot four, one thirty five, and I played the trombone. So all things working well for me in that moment, and. Uh, and I can remember a conversation between my friends and I um, cooking up a little scheme to figure out how we were going to become more popular. Like, we just were like, we've got to raise up at least one social class because right now we're scraping the bottom. Like, we've got to get up a little bit higher. And so we had a really large school, uh, 4,200 students. Our graduating class was 825. So it's just massive, easy to get lost at our school, and physically and also just uh, emotionally as well. And so we, uh, we were cooking up a plan. And the, the conversation started like this. Hey, Jared, we've been thinking... So I wasn't a part of the setup. We've been thinking. Um, we, sh- we-, we think you should go ask Jenna to homecoming. Now, Jenna, you all know Jenna, right? Jenna was like the prettiest, somehow the smartest too. Don't get it. Captain of the cheerleading squad, she floated everywhere she went. Rainbows flew out of her eyes. I mean, it was just like <laughs> Jenna, right? And they said, you're going to ask Jenna to homecoming. And If Jenna says yes, we will be seen with Jenna <laughs> at the dance, and that will naturally lift us up, because if you're Jenna, you're cool, you know what I mean, like, and so I was like, you guys, that plan is flawless, yes, we should totally do this, right, so I walk up to Jenna, and I pick my time wisely, I went up to her right after government class, because who doesn't love a good government conversation, and I said, uh, hey, hey, Jenna, what's up, I sit behind you, government, um, you could, uh, I'm a little bit nervous, uh, you'd really do me a favor if uh, you went to, to homecoming with us. She's like, a favor? I said, yeah, my friends and I aren't cool, and you're super cool. Maybe you could help us make us cool. Right? Is that okay? to like You want to be the hero that makes us cool? and she just walked away. I don't know why. She didn't say anything. She just disappeared, and I never saw her again. I think she transferred after that moment, and we were still not cool, and what was happening there? We wanted to be something that we were not, first of all, and we also wanted to become something that we weren't willing to work towards. Now, the reality of my life still today, and I think some of us, is we all want something that we're not willing to work towards at times, We want to raise, but we don't want to put the effort into working harder, right? We want to have some kind of intimate, even sometimes a sexual relationship, but we don't want the commitment or the authenticity that comes with that. We want the power, but we don't want the responsibility that it takes to lead well. We want things that we're not inevitably prepared to have. And when these disciples come to Jesus and they say, we want to sit at your right and your left, they're saying, we want to be greater than any other people, including the other 10 disciples over there. We want that. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. He says, you will get it, but not in the way that you think. Look at verse 23. It says, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places, to, uh, these places belong to those who have been prepared by my father. He is saying, if you want to live a great story, you will, but it's going to come at a greater price than you can imagine. The cost will become great and you will achieve and accomplish something beyond any earthly thing you can imagine. Right? He had to deal with these disciples that had no concept of eternity, that couldn't figure out what it meant to be a part of a greater story beyond the earthly sufferings and persecution that Israel faced from um, the Roman Empire. That's all they wanted, and is that not true for us so much? That's all we want sometimes, is to get over a broken relationship, to get past my own security, to get out of debt, to, to finally get a job, to break that addiction. We always are focused so much, and I'm, I'm, this is me too, so focused on the earthly things right in front of us, and Jesus says, you wanted a great story, didn't you? You're living a great story right now. What you're facing is a great story. And a great story is always filled with great conflict. The conflict we face never feels like a great story. You never see a movie where the hero in the deepest, hardest, most challenging parts actually feels like a hero. They are at their worst for a reason, right? Some of us are probably there right now. You look at your circumstance, you look at the relationships in your life, the wounding, the damage that's been caused to you or around you, and you think, what on earth is any of this good for? And I don't know. I really don't. But I believe that why God might not cause things to happen, I believe he can work so much in our lives. That a good work can be produced, character can be developed. So much so that when Jesus is in the wilderness, he gets um, tempted, right? He gets met by Satan himself who says, Hey, I see what you want. You want to uh, build out this kingdom, I'll give it to you right now. Just bow down before me. What Satan was offering was, I'll give you the kingdom without the cross. And we all know that that's not possible, right? right? We have got to understand that what makes the great stories of our, the people around us and the people um, in, the, in the Bible is because they recognize that great stories come at a great price. What's your favorite part of the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story? When they were found in the fiery furnace and Jesus was walking with them. Favorite part of Daniel is when he emerges out of the lion's den unharmed, right? It is unbelievable how much we look at Bible stories and we think, I want a great story, but I'm not really recognizing that what I'm living right now is a great story, even though it doesn't always feel like one, if we're doing it with Jesus. Last part of this, a great story is bigger than you. A great story is bigger than you. So Jesus turns to them and he says, can you drink of this cup? Because you're going to anyway. He uses this as a teaching moment. He brings all of the disciples together. When they heard about this, so the disciples are in Matthew 20, uh, verse 24. So the disciples hear what's going on. It says this, when the 10 heard about it, they were indignant with James and John. Indignant, I had to look it up because I don't know what it means. It It means, I'll help you, it means that they had an outward reaction of anger because of an injustice. Translation, they were really upset because they didn't get to Jesus first asking for the same thing, right? They all wanted it. They wanted the power and authority, but they weren't willing to ask for it. James and John go and do it. They become indignant. So what does Jesus do? Master teacher. He brings them together and he says, let's talk about what's really going on here. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them. He says, look at the rest of the world in the way that they lead. They use power, they use fear and intimidation, and they lord it over other people. And he says, are you like other people? Watch what he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus recognized that the greatest stories around us are ones that are bigger than our own personal fame and accomplishment and bank accounts, right? He knows that a great story is about other people. It is removing ourselves of all that selfish ambition and saying, I'm going to live a story bigger than me, be a part of a story that is bigger than me. The only reason we are here today is because thousands and thousands of people before us have lived this kind of a story, a story that is bigger than them. And we get to choose to do the same thing. We get to live the greatest story, right? When Jesus talks about the the Gentiles and the, the other authority figures, right? What he's basically saying is, you see what other people do, but you're different. That anger, that rage, that resentment that you have, the bitterness that you carry, he goes, that's not who you are. Not only is that not how we act, but he's saying, that's not even you anymore. You have been freed. You have been forgiven. You have been given another chance. You are different because of who Jesus is. And he says, don't take the power that I am giving you and use it for your own glory and edification. He is saying, you are different and I'm giving you power and I'm gonna give you authority And I want you to use it not for yourself, but we're going to flip the pyramid upside down and we're going to say that a greatness is a life bigger than yourself, that you would see that it's about serving other people above yourself. Now, as we kind of of end, I think about sort of where we are. And I spend a lot of my life with people that are sort of 28 and below. And I love this group of people because they're excited. Their eyes are filled with possibility. They look at the world and think, I'm going to make a difference in the world, right? And I love that stuff because it it motivates me just seeing that. And then I say, great, how? They go, I don't know. Not quite sure yet, but it's going to happen. And I go, yeah, 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 (laughs) it might. (laughs) And I love that because if you're here and you're in that age group, guess what? You will, you get to live. And tell a great story with your life. But it begins with recognizing who you are, who God's created you to be, who God's calling you to be, what are your, what's your passion, what you're excited about, and really how can you partner with a greater story beyond just your own little mini kingdom and success, right? That's what, that's what you get to do. And you're on the very front edge of that. Now, the biggest majority here are people like myself who are living in the middle of a story And it feels a little hopeless at times. It feels monotonous. It feels like it's never going to end. It feels like right after we we accomplish one thing, we get hit by something bad on the other side. We're struggling just to pay off bills. We're struggling to um, raise our kids. It feels like life is a struggle. My encouragement to you is to recognize that you are in a great story and rarely does one ever feel like it when you're in it. But what you need in your life is you need a guide You need somebody who can come alongside of you just two steps ahead and say, let me help you understand where you are. Let me give you the tools that you need so that you can move forward. Let me um, be with you. And guess what? For those of us that are in this third camp that feel like we're at the end of our story, Um, you look back and you think, I really, I I think, I believe, I fear that my greatest story is behind me. That's not true because you get to come alongside and be a guide for the rest of us that are struggling and stuck with raising kids and just trying to live around here, trying to be good people. And you get to say, I'm going to start a new story with my life, and that's to come alongside other people. Because this greatness thing that we're trying to go after here is not about us, right? It's about, allowing Jesus to live in and through us so that we might do what he said all along, which is to become a little bit more like him. That just doesn't look like our normal definition of great. So as we close, I want to just tell you a quick story um, about somebody in my life who I believe lives this better than anyone I've ever met, uh, and that's my mom. My mom raised me pretty much on her own. My biological dad and her separated when I was two, and so she was pretty much a single mom. She got remarried, but I don't really remember that guy, so what does that tell you about how present he was? Um, My mom uh, worked full-time and still managed to be at every one of my baseball games to show up to bands and all that kind of stuff that I did. She was there, and she did the best that she could to raise me. she, we got, she got remarried uh, when I was about 13 years old and, and found a great guy, and things started to kind of look good. And so I had a pretty decent support through high school and into college. Um, but then sometime after college, uh, I got married, and we started to notice a change in my, my mom's marriage, and things were struggling. And she, um, she could tell that things were different, but she's one of the most faithful, loyal people I've ever met. And it's really great quality about her, but it also blinded her with some of the stuff that was going on in her own marriage. And um, about four or five months after our son was born, um, she's living the dream. She gets to live down the street from her grandkids. She gets to see him and be a part of our lives. This is everything that she wanted. But then one day they called a family meeting. You guys ever have a family meeting? Oh, don't ever call them family meetings because they're the worst. And so we get together, we have this family meeting and they inform um, my wife and I that they're going to be moving uh, selling their house and moving up about an hour and a half north to go live with my aunt. And my aunt has uh, somewhat of a similar story. She's been um, single her, most of her adult life. She was married, has a couple of kids, my cousins, but has been living alone for a very long time. And to save money, that's what they told us, they are going to go move and, and live with my aunt. It made no sense. And I can remember having conversations with my mom going, why, what is the, what, what's the purpose of this? Why are you going? And she couldn't answer it. Couldn't figure out what the reason was, but she had the one thing that she could say to me, which is, this is what um, your stepdad wants. We're going to do it. I said, okay. So they moved up, and within a month of her moving in to my uh, aunt's house, uh, my stepdad informed her that he was going to be leaving and that the reason that he sold his house and separated everything was so that he could still take care of her by putting her in her sister's home and not abandoning her completely. Killer. And so my mom was left there, um, far away from her kids and grandkid and living with her sister who is a wonderful lady, doesn't know Jesus, but they're, they're close, um, feeling uncomfortable and, and really looking to God going, why am I here? What am I doing? And about two months or so after that, um, my aunt gets the news that she was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And it was devastating for obviously her and her whole family. And she... Um, had no sense of hope, was no peace, was tons of, of resentment um, towards whatever was out there, that this would happen to her. And it just so happened that right down the hallway, the light of Jesus moved into her house. And while my mom, in one of the darkest times of her life, she got to be the tiniest little light to her sister. And within months of that, my aunt um, gave her life to Jesus, and started to see the world different. She had a perspective and a mentality that changed completely, and she hung on for 23 months with stage four pancreatic cancer, defying all odds. Eventually, she did pass, um, but not without witnessing to really her whole family and saying, "God changed my life because of this." So my mom moved back down to Orange County for a little bit, and then when she got the word that. My grandfather had bladder cancer. She packed up her stuff and said, this is my story. She moved in with my grandparents and uh, walked um, bladder cancer with my grandfather for for months, eight months. Eventually, he passed in October. And now my uh, my wife, my, my mom, is living with her mom, my grandmother, and walking end of life with her mom. This is the sixth person in our family that my mom has sacrificed everything to say, I am going where I need am needed most to care for other people. And if you've ever walked end of life with people, it is not fun and it is not pretty. But guess what? My mom is one of the most joyful, courageous people I've ever met in my life. She is amazing. And I believe that it is her sacrifice, it's that servant's heart, it is her saying, "I will live a great story, but the greatest story I'll be a part of is not my own." I want that for you. I want you to live a great story. Sharon, in that video, is living a great story. You can live a great story. It just might not look like everyone else's definition of a great story. We're going to spend a couple moments in saying the band's going to come in together. But what I want us to consider um, in these last couple of minutes together, first of all, what is your great story? What story are you telling with your life? Where are you in that story? What does the road ahead look like for you? But then maybe more importantly, what is Jesus inviting you into? What daring, courageous adventure is Jesus inviting you into that you never thought possible before, that you never felt worthy of before? And Jesus looks at you with kindness and love and compassion and he says, I'm going on an adventure. Are you with me? Because I believe that for you. Let's stand together um, as we sing this last song.